nightly crowd catcher with Corey Bank. This is episode 11, and I'm excited to be here with you all tonight. I am your host, and you're listening to WQEE 99.1 FM McKee at a noon in George. I hope everyone's having a great night. It's now time to enter the late night madness. The first thing that we're going to talk about in the world of the MLB in our first game is the New York Mets versus the Philadelphia Phillies. Brett Batty hesitated getting the ball out of his glove. Josh Walker failed to throw the ball over the plate. Jeff Brigham threw his baseballs directly at Phillies hitters, Kyle Schwarber and Trey Turner. They could not escape the wild ones and the Phillies sluggers were plunked in consecutive at-bats. The Mets simply couldn't get out of their own way in a fundamental breakdown in the eighth inning that turned almost comical, at least for the Phillies fans, as they choked away a sure thing. So the final tally for those keeping score at home, the Phillies walked three times, were hit twice, reached on an error, and had just one hit and ten batters. Four-run eighth inning that set off a 7-6 win over New York on Sunday. Turner said that was a crazy one. The kind of weird one, but it was a lot of fun. Even by the Mets, sometimes feeble standards throughout their history, that was an amazing meltdown. Phillies manager Rob Thompson said, I'm not sure if I've seen it before. The chances are unlikely, I think. But leading 6-3 in the 8th, Walker allowed the first three batters to reach base and was yanked for Brigham. So, Brigham got Alec Baum to hit a tailor-made double play to Batty, but he hesitated and a low, short-arm throw to second pulled Jeff McNeil off the bag to make it a 6-4 game. So Batty said, that plays need to be made 10 times out of 10 times, said the 23-year-old. That kind of thing is going to cost us in games, and most importantly, in the series. And yes, that was wild. The Mets were just warming up. With new life, Brandon Marsh walked with the bases loaded, and it was 6-5. to five. Brigham then plunked Schwarber on his left knee to tie it at 6. As another sellout, crowd of 42,901 went wild as the rally stretched another batter. This is, when you have a crowd that is the size of that, it's able to influence ball games and make a difference. But Brigham then buzzed Turner with consecutive pitches before finally drilling the star shortstop for what turned out as the improbable winning run. What else could we do, says Mets manager Buck Showalter. Try to get tossed. Showalter's frustration boiled over in the ninth. And he was ejected by play umpire Eric Bakbakis. So, on the brink of losing the series, the Phillies settled for taking two of three at the home of the Mets. Sometimes things get lucky and it goes your way, says Turner. But Walker and Brigham gave up one hit, four runs, three earned, walked three, and threw just 16 pitches in the eighth. So as for the Mets, 
They were poised to win their first series since they completed a three-game sweep of the Phillies on June 1st. Pete Alonso hit his 24th home run and had three RBIs. Francisco Lindor homered and the Phillies wasted chances to blow the game wide open. So Alonso just won behind Atlanta's Matt Olson for the NL home run lead, provided that the bulk of the offensive damage against Phillies starter Zach Wheeler, he hit a two-out, two-RBI blooper just beyond the outstretched arm of Turner in the third inning. That made it a 2-1 game at that point in time. Alonso went deep on a line shot off of Jose Alvarado into the right field seats in the seventh, making a 6-3 lead at that point. That should have been enough. But Mets general manager Showalter says, we had the chance to open things up, but we didn't. We just didn't get the job done. Jeff Hoffman tossed a scoreless eighth for the win, and Craig Kimbrell struck out two in the ninth for his 11th save. Turner's time. Turner homer for the Phillies had three RBIs and stole two bases. Turner walked, stole second, stole third, and scored when catcher Omar Narvaez threw the ball into left field on the fifth. So this was a rough outing. Neither starter fared too well in the ball game, but Carlos Carrasco walked two and gave up five hits over just four innings. He has pitched less than five innings in each of his last three starts. Wheeler, who I had the opportunity to meet when I was just a little kid in spring training, when I saw the Mets play in spring training ball, great guy, by the way, Wheeler gave up nine hits, five runs, and struck out eight. And walked two. He was chased after Nimu lined a single off the right field wall. One of several rocks gave up in his stint. But all in all, it really, in the end of the day, it was the day that they needed. And so you see it. It was the Phillies. You guessed it, folks, took the New York Mets to the bank by the score of 7-6. to six. As we transition here, we are going into the next game of the MLB that we're going to recap tonight. That is between the Chicago Cubs versus the St. Louis Cardinals. The St. Louis Cardinals overcame a poor first inning, and manager Oliver Marmol thinks they can still overcome a shaky start to the season. They took a step in the right direction by beating the Cubs 7-5 on Sunday, chasing ace Marcus Stroman in the fourth inning to earn a split of their weekend series at London Stadium. Marmol said, We do believe we have a chance at this, but in reality, if we're going to talk about sustainable, we're going to have to pitch better, and we're going to have to continue to do what we do best offensively. But the Cubs missed a chance to get back to the 50% mark after Stroman left the game with a blister on his right index finger. And the Cardinals ended a two-game skid. An error-filled first inning handed the Cubs a 4-0 lead at that point in time. But Paul Goldschmidt had a go-ahead RBI single that knocked Stroman out of the game 
And Wilson Contreras went four for four with two scored. Contreras had a really good day, and we feel like he's been starting to really get into a really good spot. And he's going to have a big contributor for our team as we're moving into the season. Marmol said. But giving up four in the first and some of the miscues, those are things that can't happen if we want to win. So the Cubs, 37 and 39 on the season, won 9 to 1 on Saturday, but had their winning streak halted at four games. They haven't seen, they have not been back to the 50% mark since May 12th, though they've still won 11 of their past 14 games. Jordan Hicks, who sat out Saturday because of illness, got the final three outs to record his fourth save. All in the past eight days, he struck out two and allowed one run on Nico Horner's sacrifice fly. So the Cardinals' bullpen allowed one run over six and two-thirds innings before a crowd of 55,565 fans you got to be thinking. That sets the tone. You see what's going on in the yard. That is a lot of people to be overlooking the stadium. And that's very nerve-wracking. All at 87 degrees on the day. But Jake Woodford came in for spot starter Matthew Libertori in the third and pitched two and one-third innings. The Cardinals, 32-45 and 45 in the season, erased a 4-0 deficit with timely hitting and a big assist from Cubs first baseman, Trey Mancini. With the bases loaded in the second, Stroman struck out Paul DeJong for the second out. Tommy Edmond then grounded to second, but Horner's underhanded toss to Mancini was dropped by the first baseman when he tried to grab it with his bare hand, allowing Contreras to score to make it 4-1. Stroman smacked his mitt in frustration, and Brendan Donovan hit a two-run single to right field on a sinker. So batter swung at 17, Strowman sinkers, and missed just three. Scoring Nolan Gorman and Jordan hey, sports Walker, fans. who beat the throw with a head first at that point drive time time to make it a 4-3 game. Braves and Country is a Southern Sports Talk Show Mac McGee in the armchair four quarterbacks. Four on That's Walker's Braves single Country that scored Mac McGee in the armchair no quarterbacks. Weekdays, Goldsmith 3 p.m. to 5 the home p.m. Team right here on WQEE on a sharp single off 99.1 FM. Stroman was then pulled and the first batter reliever Michael Fulmer faced was Newt Barr, whose sacrifice fly scored Donovan for a 6-4 lead. So tension was piling at this point in time in the ballgame. It was neck and neck. And what we have the next inning, the cards made it 7-4. When Gorman singled to left off Fulmer, drove in Contreras. But there was early gobbies. The Cardinals handed Stroman a 4-0 lead before he even took the mound by committing two infield errors in the top of the first inning nonetheless. That's too many faulty mistakes just to start the ballgame at that point in time. And that sure did not help Libertori, who took Jack Flatterty's place. But Horner led off and reached on an error by DeJong at short and moved the third by stealing second and advancing on an error. 
So that really made the game tough at that point in time. So Ian Happ walked and Mancini then hit a two-run double, crunching a 95-mile-per-hour pitch off the wall in left-center gap. So it might have sailed out in 2019, but when the walls were closer and came around to make it that 4-0 lead, Miguel Amaya doubled on a hard shot past third baseman Nolan Arminado. So at that point in time, it was a definitive answer. And the St. Louis Cardinals, yes, they cashed in on their opportunity. And yes, they took them to the bank by the score of 7-5. to five. Into the night we go. You're listening to the Nightly Crowd Catcher with Corey Bank on 99.1 WQEE, the key out of Newton, Georgia. In this next game, and it's the final game that we're covering in the MLB tonight. We'll be right back. Active Pest Control offers the best services and prices to protect your home. Offering both monthly and quarterly pest control services, plus specific services like bed bugs, German roach, and flea control. Even if you can't see them, insects are all around you 24-7. Active Pest Control wants to be the first line of defense. Active Pest Control. Repair. Bond. Best termite coverage around. Active Pest Control, 34 Jefferson Street, Noonan, 770-954-9941. Welcome back. You're listening to the Nightly Crowd Catcher with Corey Bank on WQEE 99.1, the key at Noonan, Georgia. In this final game that we are recapping tonight in the land of the MLB is the Atlanta Braves versus the Cincinnati Reds. Matt Olson hit a go-ahead three-run homer in the sixth inning, and the Atlanta Braves held on for another wild 7-6 victory over the Cincinnati Reds on Sunday. The Braves, who snapped the Reds' longest winning streak in 66 years at 12 games with a 7-6 win on Saturday, have won 17 of their last 20. That was a good series against a really good ball club, in my opinion, says Braves third baseman Austin Riley. I felt like I played three football games, three longer games to come out with two wins, and those are nice. The Reds had runners on first and third in the ninth when Rizel Iglesias got Kevin Newman to roll into a game-ending double play. It was Iglesias' 11 save. The game was played before another sellout crowd of 40,140, a combined 126,724 fans attended the weekend series between the first place teams. But Braves manager said, I don't know what I've ever been thinking of. This was an exhausting series indeed. Fans got their money's worth though. In the series, they saw some great baseball. Exciting. The whole thing. The hottest team in the National League. We took the series, and that's good. So there were 19 home runs in this series. Games like that, when you lose them, are hard to swallow, says Reds manager David Bell. Because you fight back so hard. Honestly, this team does it more than they 
any team I've ever been around. The Reds lost despite a big day from Matt McLean, who went 4 for 5 with 3 doubles, a homer, and 5 RBIs. McLean is the first Reds rookie to have 4 extra base hits in a game since Chris Sabo in 1988. Sometimes I get to swing happy, but I was trying to get a pitch in my zone, said McLean. I really need to get back to that. It sucks that we lost the series. It was a good atmosphere to play in. Reds rookie Levi Stouted was recalled from AAA to start in Sunday's game when scheduled starter Ben Lively was placed on the injured list with a pectoral muscle strain. Stouted held the Braves at bay until the third. Michael Harris the second tripled and scored the Braves' first run on Ozzy Albia's sacrifice fly. RBI singles by Sean Murphy and Marcel Azuna made a 3-0 game. McLean doubled and scored the Reds' first run. He doubled in two more runs in the fourth that tied at three. And Charlie Morton needed 103 pitches to get through five, which is a lot of pitches through five innings. It's crazy because you generally, general thumb, you usually want your pitchers to pitch right around 85 to 95 pitches a game. But he went 103 pitches, which is a lot for an arm over a 162-game season. But Morton was making his 21st career start against the Reds. And Morton said, I've played against them for a while and seen the ups and downs. But it's fun to come here and see the stadium like this, the city like this, to watch them fight back. It says a lot about the team. Olsen's two out, three run shot in the sixth on an 0-2 pitch from Ian Gibbot. Put the Braves ahead 6-3. The opposite field homer impressed his Braves teammates. I thought it was a good swing. Then I went back and looked at it, and it was four balls above the zone at 97, Riley said. I'm going to take some notes. That was impressive. I need to get on whatever program he's on. And McLean's homer leading off the seventh and his two-run double in the eighth got the Reds within a run. But for the second straight night, it was the Reds rally felling short. The team's going to have a fun summer, says general manager Snicker. I'm glad we don't see them anymore, or the next time we see them should be the playoffs, and that'd be okay. But it was an unlikely debut for Randy Wine. Win for Randy Wynn, who took the loss in his major league debut. Win, 30 years old, spent three seasons pitching in independent leagues, and was working in a lumber yard when he was signed as a minor league free agent in 2019. A lot of adrenaline coming into the game. A ton of people out there, Wynn said. It's a dream come true. The only thing that would have been better was be a dub. So, we got our training room results. So, as for the Braves, Murphy returned to the lineup on Sunday for the first time since injuring his right hamstring. He had made for a one-pitch hit 
appearance since June 17th. As for the Reds, Lively tore his... He had a pectoral muscle strain while having an MRI in the next day or so to evaluate his injury, which could be more serious than initially thought. But according to manager David Bell, right-handed pitcher Derek Law, right flexor mass strain he had, was sent to single-A Daytona on a rehabilitation assignment. So in this barn burner, it was the Atlanta Braves who took the Cincinnati Reds to, you guessed it folks, to the bank by the score of 7-6. to six. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. When you really need something to get you through a long graduation ceremony, Trolley Sour Gummy Worms are there to give you a thrill. With varieties like Trolley Sour Bursting Crawlers, the worm's soft and chewy texture, surprising flavor combinations, and neon bright colors will give everyone a reason to celebrate. So when you want to notch the festivities up a couple degrees, Trolley Sour Gummy Worms are the perfect way for everyone to celebrate. Shop now for any trolley that crawls your way. This is Austin Black, and I am the host of Behind the Tunes. Have you ever wondered about the stories behind your favorite songs and the journeys of those that sing them? Each week, we invite you to go behind the tunes and step into the stories behind your favorite Christian artists that shape the landscape of today's music. Hey everybody, this is Andy Christman. Join me this week for worship as I play two hours of the best in modern worship music from churches and worship leaders around the world. And this week, my special guest is Blake Goss of New Spring Worship. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do not perceive it. I'm making ways in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. For us, that scripture came alive because he did a new thing actually in an old place. You don't want to miss a moment of this week's worship with me, your host, Andy Christman. WQEE 99.1 FM, The Key. Home of Southern Sports and Talk. Noonan, Sharpsburg, Franklin. Welcome back. You're listening to the Nightly Crowd Catcher with Corey Bank on WQEE 99.1 The Key in Noonan, Georgia. And now, we're going to be recapping on the NBA offseason. So, we're recapping on the Minnesota Timberwolves signing of a new center. So the Minnesota Timberwolves center, Nas Reed, has agreed on a new three-year, $42 million contract that includes a player option per his agents, Sean Kennedy and Jeff Schwartz of XL Sports Management told, that told ESPN on Sunday. The deal keeps Reed out of free agency and secures him to the franchise where he has arrived as an undrafted, one-and-done player and developed into an indispensable frontline performer. The player option for 2025 through the 2026 season gives Reed a chance to get another new contract in two years. Reed had his best season, 11.5 points and 4.9 rebounds per game before a season-ending wrist fracture kept him out of the final weeks of the regular season, the play-in tournament, and the Western Conference playoffs. The Timberwolves clearly missed his presence 
in their opening round loss to the eventual NBA champion Denver Nuggets. The Timberwolves risked losing Reed in free agency beginning next week, but Kennedy and Schwartz had spent several months negotiating with the Timberwolves president, Tim Connolly, and finally reached a deal on Sunday. After arriving from LSU in 2019, his emergence as a bench player behind Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert in the 2000 in the Timberwolves front court made him an attractive target throughout the league. He also shot for 53.7% and made 34.6% of his three-point attempts. After the All-Star break in February, Reed scored 200. 42 points and 312 minutes of playing time. Only MVP Joel Embiid of Philadelphia averaged more points per minute over that span, according to ESPN stats and information research. NBA Finals MVP Nikolai Jokic was third. Reed, who turns 24 in August, would have become an unrestricted free agent despite his age because he signed a four year deal with Minnesota entering his rookie year, just as Jalen Brunson had done with Dallas before leaving for the New York Knicks last summer. Welcome back. You're listening to the Nightly Crowd Catcher with Corey Bank on WQEE 99.1 FM, the key out of Noonan, Georgia. The next story that we're going to be talking about is about a veteran, a veteran point guard, indeed, his name, Derrick Rose. So the New York Knicks are not picking up veteran point guard Derrick Rose's $15.6 million team option for next season. So according to multiple reports on Saturday, the former number one pick in the 2008 NBA draft will now enter unrestricted free agency. Rose remade himself into a valuable role player after a slew of injuries hampered his ascent to stardom after becoming the youngest MVP in NBA history in 2011. Acquired by the Knicks in the middle of the 2020-2021 season, he helped the New York team make the playoffs while finishing third in the sixth man of the year year voting that year. However, an ankle injury limited him to 26 games the following season, and he fell out of coach Tom Thibodeau's rotation early during this past season. The Knicks could still try to bring him back at a reduced salary, but Rose will be 35, which in NBA years is very old and can be costly to any team's salary budget. But Rose, at this point in time, going to be 35 years old, holds a career average of 17.7 points and 5.3 assists across his 14 seasons in the NBA. Will they give him a contract? That will be remain to be seen. Stick around, folks. We'll be right back. This week's Property of the Week is located at 688 Cheatham Road in Griffin, Georgia. This 32.14-acre track is waiting to find its new owner, This property features a three-bed, two-bath home built in 1890. An 18-by-28 utility shed ran with its own power and water, fencing for horses and other livestock, and timber such as pine, oak, and pecan trees. 
Call 678-634-9770 for more information. Welcome back. You're listening to the Nightly Crowd Catcher with Corey Bank on WQEE 99.1 FM, the key out of Noonan, Georgia. And now we're going to talk about what's going on in the NFL offseason. In this next story, we're going to go and recap on a Raiders star wide receiver salvation. So an assault charge against Las Vegas Raiders wide receiver Devontae Adams for shoving a credentialed media worker in Kansas City after an October game has been dropped. A spokesperson for the Kansas City Municipal Court told the Kansas City Star on Friday that a prosecutor had dismissed the misdemeanor charge June 5th and that the case was closed. Adams had shoved the man identified by police as Ryan Zeble. Zeble was working for ESPN's Monday Night Football as a freelance photographer. And the incident occurred after the Raiders' 30-29 loss to the Chiefs on October 10th. Records say that Zeble suffered whiplash, a headache, and a possible minor concussion from the incident. He is suing Adams the Raiders, and the Chiefs, among others, over the incident, and the civil case remains pending. Adams had apologized after the game, saying the shove was just frustration mixed with Zeble literally just running in front of me. But Adams' attorney, J.R. Hobbs, declined comment on what's going on with the Stars' future. Welcome back! You're listening to the Nightly Crowd Catcher with Corey Bank on WQEE 99.1 FM, the key at noon in Georgia. And now, in this next story of the MLB, of the NFL offseason, we're going to be talking about crucial moves that are being made in the land of the Buffalo Bills and some contract extensions. So, the Buffalo Bills on Friday announced contract extensions for general manager Brandon Bean and coach Sean McDermott through the 2027 season. So the 2023 season will be the pair's seventh season together, during which the Bills have three AFC East division titles and have made four consecutive playoff appearances. Since being hired in 2017, being 46, has overseen the construction of a perennial AFC contender. Highlighted, by the drafting of franchise quarterback Josh Allen in 2018 and trading for star wide receiver Stephon Diggs in 2020. Other key players Bean had drafted, including cornerback Tredavious White, left tackle Deion Dawkins, linebacker Matt Milano, and tight end Dawson Knox. Bean earned Executive of the Year honors from the Sporting News Pro Football Writers Association of America and Pro Football Focus in 2020, and in doing so, became the first Bills executive to win such an honor since Bill Polini in, two th- in 1991. So McDermott, 49, has a 62 and 35 record as the Bills coach and four and five in the postseason since he was hired as the Bills coach in 2017. He ranks third in victories in franchise history behind Marv Levy, 123, and Lou Saban at 70. So the Bills have won at least 10 games 
and reached the playoffs each season since 2019, one of only two teams, the Kansas City Chiefs being the other, to boast such success. McDermott led the pl- led the Bills to the AFC Championship game after 2020 season. The Bills also made the playoffs in his first season as a coach, ending a 17-season postseason drought. Unbelievable, folks. This guy has changed the culture of Bills football. Man, and, and this kind of disheartens me that this is the case, but this guy has been the person who's changed the whole entire history around. The last time this team was this good is when they won a bunch of Super Bowls in the 90s. And McDermott really has proven this. With him and Josh Allen, this front office has done a great job. And this is coming from someone that is in his division, in his division rival. So, unbelievable. He had been a finalist for the NFL Coaches Year of the Award three times. When you're able to be picked three different times for Coach of the Year, you are something special. And you can build a legacy for this league. So into the darkness of the night we go. On the nightly crowd catcher with Corey Bank on 99.1 WQEE, the key out of Newton, Georgia. To wrap up the final story in the NFL offseason, we'll be right back. How do you make the most of your land? Everyone has their way. The Nelsons depend on their John Deere Gator XUV 835R to get from point A to point B with decoys and the dogs. Much as we got going on, it's all about efficiency. And if you ask the Mosers what they use their Gator XUV 590M for, they tell you. The most fun we have on the Gator is just ripping around the property. There are millions of ways to make the most of your land. Learn how to make the most of yours at deer.com. Nothing runs like a deer. I'm pretty handy around the house, but now that I have kids, I don't want to spend my Saturday installing a toilet or fixing an air conditioner. But thankfully, there's HomeAdvisor. HomeAdvisor helps me find the best home pros in my area to handle any kind of project. You can read reviews of the pros, check their availability, and even book appointments online. And what my wife loves most is that HomeAdvisor is completely free to use. Go to HomeAdvisor.com or download the free app to get started. HomeAdvisor. I'm not going to lie. I know nothing about cars. And I don't really mind keeping it that way. This, it's cool. I called CarShield before my car broke down. Thanks to CarShield, I don't have to understand anything about what's broken because plans can pay for repairs on up to 6,000 parts of my car. Leave fixing cars to the experts and call CarShield before your car breaks down and maybe save some money for once. It's a thought. Call 800-579-6554. 800-579-6554. At Jersey Mike's, they slice your order fresh right in front of you. And let me tell you, watching that can send a rush of emotions through a person. Excitement, impatience, baby-like wonder, indecisive, anticipatory chewing, nervous pacing, happy claps, and finally, jealousy, because that's this guy's sub. I should order one. Mm, Good idea. Sliced right in front of you. It's a Jersey Mike's thing. A sub above. Welcome back. You're listening to the Nightly Crowd Catcher with Corey Bank. On WQEE 99.1 FM, the key out of Noonan, Georgia. And now, we're going to talk about what's going on in the NFL offseason. In this next story, we're going to go 
and recap on a Raiders star wide receiver salvation. So an assault charge against Las Vegas Raiders wide receiver Devontae Adams for shoving a credentialed media worker in Kansas City after an October game has been dropped. A spokesperson for the Kansas City Municipal Court told the Kansas City Star on Friday that a prosecutor had dismissed the misdemeanor charge June 5th and that the case was closed. Adams had shoved the man identified by police as Ryan Zeble. Zeble was working for ESPN's Monday Night Football as a freelance photographer. And the incident occurred after the Raiders' 30-29 loss to the Chiefs on October 10th. Records say that Zable suffered whiplash, a headache, and a possible minor concussion from the incident. He is suing Adams, the Raiders, and the Chiefs, among others, over the incident. And the civil case remains pending. Adams had apologized after the game, saying the shove was just frustration mixed with Zable literally just running in front of me. But Adams' attorney, J.R. Hobbs, declined comment on what's going on with the star's future. Wishbone Fried Chicken is back in a brand new location. 31 Jackson Street, Sweet A here in Noonan. Same great taste. The best chicken around. Fish dinners. Open Monday through Saturday, 10.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. Dine in. Take out is Wishbone Fried Chicken right next door to their former location, bringing you the best chicken around. So great. Wishbone Fried Chicken, 31 Jackson Street, Sweet A, here in Noonan. Got mold? Call the Mold Man. Specializing in crawl space and interior mold remediation, encapsulations, and basement waterproofing since 2019. The Mold Man team takes pride in keeping your family healthy and your home mold free. Visit our website, themoldmanllc.com, to schedule a quote or give us a call at 678-227-9763. Hey sports fans, it's Rod Peterson here, host of The Rod Peterson Show, inviting you to join us daily for two hours of Atlanta's funnest sports talk right here on WQEE. I say fun because it is. You've never heard a show like it because we make the listeners a part of the show. Every day between noon and 2 p.m. Eastern, you'll hear plenty of the best sports talk, including the latest on the Falcons, the Braves, and more. And who knows, you might even hear you. That's the Rod Peterson Show, daily at noon, right here on WQEE 99.1 FM. Hey, sports fans. Weekdays, 3 p.m. Eastern to 5 p.m. Eastern. Drive time. WQEE. Braves Country is a Southern sports talk show with Mac McGee and the Armchair Quarterbacks. That's Braves Country with Mac McGee and the Armchair Quarterbacks. Weekdays, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m., right here on WQEE 99.1 FM. Welcome back. You're listening to the Nightly Crowd Catcher with Corey Bank on WQEE 99.1 FM, the key out of noon in Georgia. And now, in this next story of the MLB, of the NFL offseason, we're going to be talking about crucial moves that are being made in the land of the Buffalo Bills and some contract extensions. So, the Buffalo Bills on Friday announced contract extensions for general manager Brandon Bean and coach Sean McDermott through the 2027 season. 
So the 2023 season will be the pair's seventh season together, during which the Bills have three AFC East division titles and have made four consecutive playoff appearances. Since being hired in 2017, Bean, 46, has overseen the construction of a perennial AFC contender, highlighted by the drafting of franchise quarterback Josh Allen in 2018 and trading for star wide receiver Stephon Diggs in 2020. Other key players Bean had drafted, including cornerback Tredavious White, left tackle Deion Dawkins, linebacker Matt Milano, and tight end Dawson Knox. Bean earned Executive of the Year honors from the Sporting News, Pro Football Writers Association of America, and Pro Football Focus in 2020, and in doing so, became the first Bills executive to win such an honor since Bill Polini in, in 1991. So McDermott, 49, has a 62-35 and record as the Bills coach and 4-5 and in the postseason since he was hired as the Bills coach in 2017. He ranks third in victories in franchise history behind Marv Levy, 123, and Lou Saban at 70. So the Bills have won at least 10 games and reached the playoffs each season since 2019, one of only two teams, the Kansas City Chiefs being the other, to boast such success. McDermott led the, led the Bills to the AFC Championship game after 2020 season. The Bills also made the playoffs in his first season as a coach, ending a 17-season postseason drought. Unbelievable, folks. This guy has changed the culture of Bills football. Man, and, and this kind of disheartens me that this is the case, but this guy has been the person who's changed the whole entire history around. The last time this team was this good is when they won a bunch of Super Bowls in the 90s. And McDermott really has proven this. With him and Josh Allen, this front office has done a great job. And this is coming from someone that is in his division, in his division rival. So, unbelievable. He had been a finalist for the NFL Coaches Year of the Award three times. When you're able to be picked three different times of, for Coach of the Year, you are something special. And you can build a legacy for this league. So, into the darkness of the night we go. On the nightly crowd catcher with Corey Bank on 99.1 WQEE, the key out of Newton, Georgia. To wrap up the final story in the NFL offseason. And now, in our final story that we are recapping tonight on the NFL offseason is about a franchise coming into shambles. So, the NFL has scheduled a meeting next month where the owners are expected to vote on the sale of the Washington Commanders. So, to a group lead by Josh Harris, a source confirmed to ESPN on Friday, the NFL sent a memo to the owners that a meeting would take place on July 20th to discuss the sale of the Commanders from Dan and Tanya Snyder to the Harris Group 
for a record $6.05 billion. That number is astounding for any kind of sports franchise to be looked at as that appraised value. So it's likely that a vote would take place based on anticipated unanimous approval by the Finance Committee. According to the Washington Post, which first reported the meeting, the vote could take place in Minneapolis, where the owners met in late May. The committee has not yet recommended approval, but the fact that a special meeting was set indicates the direction the sale is headed. Typically, the owners adhere to the committee's recommendation. So for the sale to be approved, of 24 of the 32 owners must vote in favor. Last year, for example, the committee recommended unanimous approval for July 27th regarding the sale of the Denver Broncos to a group led by Walmart, Hayer, Rob Walton. The owners voted their approval on August 9th. There has been strong motivation to get the commander's deal done according to multiple sources, and move on from the Snyders before the season begins. That's why, despite concerns about the structure of the Harris offer at various points, many remain optimistic the deal would be completed. Multiple sources said the Snyders were eager to finish the process as well. Washington opens training camp July 26th, but on June 7th, the Finance Committee met with Harris for two and a half hours in New York City. Afterward, Indianapolis Colts owner Jim Ursay, one of the eight members on the committee, expressed optimism to ESPN about the direction of Harris' bid. At the owners' meetings last month, Ursay had been adamant that work needed to be done to get the offer in compliance with NFL guidelines. I'm hopeful because of their inspired aspect and their enthusiasm and their track record, Ursay said after meeting with Harris, we're just trying to work through those final details, and I'm hopeful that we'll be able to. I would imagine something in mid to late July would be the earliest we'd call a league meeting. Shortly after that meeting, the NFL informed teams a possible vote would take place on either July 20th or August 8th. Harris Group includes Washington billionaire Mitchell Rails, as well as NBA Hall of Famer Magic Johnson, among its 20 limited partners, all of whom had to be vetted by the committee, adding to the length of time and recommending their approval. The committee has worked with Harris to get his bid in compliance with NFL guidelines. Ursay said, Multiple times in the past two months, there were concerns over the amount of debt carried by Harrison, how much equity was in his offer. But according to the NFL guidelines, folks, a new owner cannot take on more than $1.1 billion in debt. That right there is an interesting concept, to say the least. And most, and must, put down 30% of the offer. So... Sounds like when you have to put when you're able to put down 30% is when things come into effect. But Ursay also said Harris and Raleigh wanted the league to work with them, particularly from a taxation standpoint. 
They know it can be smoke and mirrors, Ursay told ESPN in early June. But after committee met with Harris, it's a complicated deal. But Ursay, as well as others in the league, including Commissioner Roger Goodell, said they would not alter the guidelines to accommodate Harris. Harris entering into a single signed exclusive deal with co-owners Dan and Tanya Tanya Snyder on May 12th, edging Canadian billionaire Steve Ospolopoulos bid of $6 billion. The Snyders shocked the NFL by putting the commanders up for sale November 2nd, less than two weeks after releasing a statement that proclaimed they would never sell the team. But as you know, in professional sport, anything and everything is possible. So the NFL had investigated the work culture under Snyder for nearly a year before finding the franchise $10 million in July of 2021. But the House Committee Oversight and Reform started its own investigation into Snyder in 2021. This is what opens up a lot of the cans and it changed everything. But the team went 164 and 220 under Snyder. Washington has not won a playoff game since 2005 and has not won 11 or more games in the regular season since 1991. That stat is absolutely staggering. You're telling me in over 30 years you have not been able to develop a team that has won 11 games or more? That says a lot about the culture. And I do think it is definitely time to get a new regime in for the Washington Commanders. Welcome back. You're listening to the Nightly Crowd Catcher with Corey Bay on WQEE 99.1 FM, the key at noon in Georgia. And now we're going to talk about music noob. First, I have a story about an executive in the music business and Living Legends Foundation's president who is leaving us with his legacy. So Varnell Harris Johnson, who held senior executive roles at Capital EMI, Blue Note, Jive, Island, Electra Records, and more throughout his career in music, and who was president of the Living Legends Foundation, has died. At just the tender age of 76 years old, he has a lot he's leaving us with. Johnson has been credited for recruiting many black executives, including several women, into key music industry positions. He had an ear for talent and had a hand in bringing in the huge star Tina Turner over to Capitol Records as a solo artist and brought the the Isley brothers with him from Electra to Island with his knowledge of how influential gospel music was to the community, he helped establish the gospel focus variety. This is a major loss, says David C. Linton, friend of Johnson and chairman of the Living Legends Foundation. At the time he broke into the industry, he was able to work in every aspect of the business. Varnell was one of the first black executives to have total autonomy within the label system. He not only signed some great artists, but he also hired other black executives and molded so many of our careers. 
He had a lot of firsts in his career. He was always caring. He promoted women. And you could always call him for advice. He was that great link. And his friend saying this, David C. Linton. Living Legends Foundation Vice President Jacqueline Reinhardt, a marketing professional, remembers him as the quintessential record man. He was a straight shooter and someone who was great at maintaining relationships at all levels of the industry. He never lost his role as an influencer. It wasn't reliant on what job he held at what label. He was a people person. A good person to know, says Ray Harris, a veteran record promotion executive and a founding member of the Living Legends Foundation, says. And I have such a deep appreciation for him because he got on board with the Living Legends Foundation right from the beginning. The organization grew substantially thanks to his participation and leadership. He was always a voice of common sense, wisdom, and calm. And we're going to miss that kind of voice. That's what he means to the culture. But Johnson was born in Philadelphia. He played football and basketball at Simon Gratz High School and graduated at 16. He then enlisted in the Army at 17, serving as a combat medic in the Vietnam War. Following an honorable discharge, he went to Temple University and graduated with a marketing and advertising degree. Harold Childs, a Philadelphia neighbor, influenced Johnson to get into the music business. His career in music started at Gopher at A&L Record Distributors before becoming general manager for Philly Grove, Groove Records. He was then hired as a marketing slash promotions director at GMC, which led to him landing at EMI slash United Artists newly formed R&B division in Los Angeles in 1979. Johnson moved to parent company Capitol Records as vice president of A&R, working with artists including Renee and Angela, A Taste of Honey, Mays featuring Frankie Beverly, George Clinton, Freddie Jackson, Natalie Cole, Bebo Bryson, Roberta Flack, Tina Turner, and Ashford and Simpson. His next gig as Vice President of Promotion and Marketing at Capitol's Manhattan Blue Note Records division, brought him back to the East Coast. There, he worked with Diane Reeves, Bobby McFern, and Phyllis Hyman. So, Johnson was hired to really change the world at this point in time. And it's very sad to see a great executive in this industry fall at the age of 76 years old. Johnson, you'll be sure to be missed. We appreciate everything you've done for the business and how great you were for the world. This last story that we're going to be talking about tonight is about a rock and roll legend. You don't want to miss it. So a little over four decades after her official solo debut, Stevie Nicks is prepping a staggering retrospective by way of a career-spanning box set and a new collection of rare and unreleased tracks. So, Complete Studio Albums and Rarities is slated for a July 28th release as a 10-CD set 
combining each of Nix's solo studio albums with a, with a new compilation of hard-to-find tracks. Four Nix's albums, Rock a Little, The Other Side of the Mirror, Street Angel, and Trouble and Shangri-La, were new remastered from their analog masters for this new release. For fans who cannot wait until July 28th or stomach the set's $100 price tag, the Talk To Me singer has made a new remastered version of Rarity's track, One More Big Time Rock and Roll Star, available on all digital download and streaming platforms. Originally released as the B-side to Talk To Me, which hit number 4 on the Billboard Hot 100 back in 1985. One more big time rock and roll star also made an appearance on Nick's 1998 The Enchanted Works of Stevie Nick's box set. Stevie Nick's new box set will also be available in 16LP crystal clear vinyl version. So the $300 set is limited to 3,000 units globally and will be a... There will be exclusive. Several of Nick's albums, including 2011's In Your Dreams, will be making their vinyl debuts. Rarities boasts 23 of Nick's best non-album tracks, film and television soundtrack contributions, B-sides, as well as her 2022 cover of Buffalo Springfield's For What It's Worth, her most recent release. As a soloist, Stevie Nicks has earned four top 10 hits on the Hunt Top 100 list out of 14 career entries. She reached as high as number three with 1981's Stop Dragging My Heart Around with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. On the Billboard 200, the standback singer sent six titles to the chart's top 10, including her number one debut solo Studio album, Belladonna. With the kind of history that Stevie Nicks has propelled in her career and the legacy that she leaves and what she's been putting together, it's incredible that they're able to compile her legacy through all of this and now. Thank you very much for everything you've done, Stevie Nicks. Welcome back. You're listening to Nightly Crowd Catcher with Corey Bank on WQEE 99.1 The Key at Noon in Georgia. Everyone, thank you for listening in tonight, showing me support, and thank you very much, WQEE 99.1 The Key, for having me on. Everyone, get home safe, have a great night's sleep, have a great night, take care.